Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Hi everyone, how's it going? Hope your week is getting off to a great start. May half term is coming up here in England at the end of the month, so I imagine a lot of you will be heading off on some kind of travels, so uh, let me know how it goes. Let me know your favourite spots that you discover along the way, if you chose to go anywhere that you heard about here on the pod. I'm just back, actually, from a week in Menorca, one of the Balearic Islands off the coast of Spain. I actually talk with Sam, my guest today, about Menorca. I was just about to head head off there when we spoke. I'd never been before. I'd been to Mallorca and Ibiza, and I'd heard that it was not only great for families, but that it had just a really appealing, low-key, relaxed vibe about it, and that its beaches were some of the best in Europe. And it definitely delivered on all those fronts. We loved it. We stayed at a hotel which only just opened last summer, so you might not have heard of it yet. It's called Villa Le Blanc, a Grand Melia hotel. And I'm just so excited to tell you all about it because it is one of the best new openings in Europe as far as I'm concerned from the last few years. And this isn't sponsored content, by the way. I was out there to review it for my work and we paid to extend our time there because we loved it so much and I just wanted to tell you about it because I love discovering new hotels as you probably know by now. So this hotel is like the epitome of I was trying to think about the best way to describe it and I'd say it's like beachfront chic. The decor, the interiors reminded me of California, so classy, like really airy and light and summery. Nearly all the rooms and suites look out over the Mediterranean through big floor-to-ceiling windows framed by palm trees and you can see Mallorca in the distance. You really feel like you're enveloped in the beach and the sea. And it's one of those rare hotel gems I've realised now with a baby that caters perfectly to both families and solo travellers or couples. There are two incredibly photogenic pools And one is adults only, that's on the roof of the hotel and it has these amazing views over the beach. And then the other is family friendly, though I always want to qualify not overtly family friendly, very classy, lined with giant cabana beds with beautiful canopies. You can literally hear the waves lapping in the distance, beautiful. There's a little beach just outside the gate, perfect for little ones. It's so shallow and calm. People were wading out for miles and people come from all over the island to watch the sunset here. There are three restaurants, two of which face outwards towards the sunset, meaning that every dinner that we had there was accompanied by this incredible display of nature at its best the best sunsets I've ever seen, truly. Boats would come and moor up there to watch the sunset. It's such a special spot. And if, like me, you're traveling with a little one, they had all the gear that you could need, all the nicest quality stuff too, so you'd be well looked after. A really great new hotel to add to your hotel bucket list. If you decide to go, let me know. I'll give you all my tips. Okay, on to today's guest. I have a guest today that 
I think will reignite your sense of adventure and reaffirm your love of nature. You know, I've had over 100 guests now and Sam Branson is up there in terms of his passion and love for travel, the power of it, the importance of it, its symbiosis with nature and our planet. It's a powerful listen. Sam is a very busy man indeed. He's one of those people where the list of things that they do in their bio goes on for so long that you question what you've done with your own life. Adventurer, filmmaker, singer-songwriter, charity founder, business leader, social entrepreneur, and that's just the beginning of it. As an adventurer, his feats match some of the greatest names in the field. He spent three months crossing the Arctic on a dog sled. He's climbed epic peaks. He's kayaked treacherous stretches of water. He's set numerous world records, including, curiously, running the London Marathon attached to 33 other people. None of it, of course, was done without a wider cause. And charity is a huge focus for Sam and He has founded several charities himself, raising several million pounds in the process. He's also hugely passionate about our planet and many of the challenges he's undertaken have been to raise awareness and create action around climate change. He speaks with such warmth about nature. And this has transcended into his new venture, music. He's just released his debut album under his musical name, Waves Rush In. The album's called Under the Static, which is a love letter to Mother Nature and the perfect soundtrack to summer. Very chilled, very mellow. I really enjoyed listening to it. Alongside all of this, which is making me exhausted just thinking about it, he's found time to co-found and run a documentary company alongside Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. Now, obviously, a lot of this opportunity has come from Sam being born into the Branson family, being the son of Sir Richard Branson. And we discuss this privileged upbringing in the episode and how he strived for his own self-identity since. All of this makes it a really fascinating listen, I think, and I hope you enjoy it. So let's get started. Sam Branson, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It's great to see you today. How are you? Very well, thank you. And, and, and very grateful to be here and speak to you today. Awesome. Well, you were just recently back from another stint in the Arctic, I saw. Mm, yeah, yeah. We had a, a pretty amazing time in Lapland in the Arctic Circle and, uh, and it, was, it was pretty magical. It looked absolutely beautiful. What were you doing there? We were doing an event which I co-founded with my cousin called Strive Challenge. And it was initially set up to try and give people the experiential learning that I had on my first big Arctic expedition while raising funds for Big Change, which is an organization that I co-founded to help young people thrive in life, not just exams. Mm -hmm. And we do multidiscipline challenges all over the world. Uh, And so far we've traveled... (laughs) I think about 6,000 kilometers, raised seven and a half million quid and and had hundreds of people join us on these very challenging but very rewarding uh, experiences. And, and the latest one was in Lapland and uh, doing all sorts of fun, fun things in the Arctic. Fun, but also quite physically demanding. Uh, yeah, I, I, I find physically demanding is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to come um, on to that later, actually, because yeah. it's like kind of baffling the amount yeah. of kind of physical challenges you put yourself through. But it's mm. it's all good fun, is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, not always. Um, <laughs> but but there's never been an experience where I haven't challenged myself physically and mentally and not come out the back end of it feeling more inspired and more self-aware and, and, and have more 
courage. People always ask me, you know, what are you doing to train for Strive? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm using Strive to train for life. And that's uh, my sort of perspective. I really like that. I also really like what you said about um, kind of thriving in life, not just like in exams or in the classroom. Mm, mm. Because we have so much to learn from travel. Mm, so much. I mean, I, I think if I look back on my life, the things that I've learned the most, it's it's experiencing new places, new cultures, um, and it enables you to have an objective perspective on your life, mm. uh, in your day to day life, and and don't take anything for granted. And and also, I, you know, you don't judge anyone because you know everyone lives such different dynamic lives. Um, and at the end of the day, as 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 different lives we lead, what I what my biggest insight is we're all pretty similar and we're all experiencing the same emotions and underneath whatever the, the specific event is that we're, we're experiencing, we're still all feeling fear and love and uh, joy and, uh, and all the, all the things that come with being a human. So it's this wonderful mix between traveling and, and seeing the, the diversity in which human beings live and how we are, but equally, all our similarities at the same time mm, there's a universality that is universality a word a universality that comes with travel and like you say it, 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 a connectedness with, mm. and I imagine I don't know um from your own experience being born into a famous family with famous parents where people are always going to have I suppose a preconceived idea of mm. who you might be or come into having preconceptions about you mm. did tra has travel really helped helped you kind of deal with what that must have been like growing up I suppose yeah I, I think I think when I was younger it impacted me more and I think I would go into a room and have a little bit of you know as we all are when we're young a little bit self-aware self-conscious and and that added a bit of a pressure to that situation um uh, you know, my my when I was younger, my best thing was like, oh my, you're actually really lovely and really normal. And I used to kind of strive for that. And actually, you realise, hold on, why should I not be normal just because I've been born into uh, this situation? Because mm. I've travelled and I've experienced people who live in mud huts who have nothing, nothing in a material sense, but have everything in terms of things that bring a quality of life, a sense of community and family and love and purpose and I've also met people who have so many material things who are unhappy and 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 it makes you realize that actually it doesn't matter who you are where you come from you're you're never immune to 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 struggle and you're always uh, yeah. capable of joy yeah um and then as I got older I just stopped caring because you know I became more and more you know self-loving and self-aware and and I understand who I am and and now I've sort of lived you know, coming up for 40 years, I uh, feel like I've got uh, insights of the lessons I've learned along the way to share with people. Well, I'm sure we'll hear some more of those coming up mm. on today's episode. We're going to be going on a journey through the seven chapters of your travel diary, Sam. I'm going to go mm -hmm. back to the very beginning. Chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory. What would that be? So I was very lucky enough to to have uh, parents who spent a lot of time in the Caribbean and um, and we had a, a second home out there in the British Virgin Islands called Necker and and I think I went there when I was three months old. Uh, mm. I can't remember that specifically, but I, yeah. I very much remember. You know, our life was very day to day in England: school, home, school, home, school, home, and then in holiday times, we were blessed enough to go 
that environment and just be immersed in nature and with the Caribbean culture. And that was very informative, I think, to the person that I am today uh, and um, enabled me to come back to school and my day-to-day life with a slightly different, broader perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think also going to Menorca with my cousins, uh, I got lots of cousins and, and we used to just build forts and, and we would go there quite regularly and mess around in Port Mahon and jump off cliffs and swim and do all the catch fish and all, the, all that stuff too. Well, I don't want to make this about myself, but I'm going to Menorca for the first time on Monday. So wow. do you have any tips for where to go? I, I'm going for the first, my second trip abroad with my baby. Mm. And mm. Um, I would love any recommendations because I hear it's great for families. It's really, really great for families and, and young kids. And uh, what's it? Binny Becker's worth visiting. There's Cipriani's restaurant, which is lovely. Um, but I think anywhere around the port of Mohan is is really beautiful, and there's lots of fun things to do. Oh. Just get, just get. You, I, I'm, I'm a these days. I'm a go to bed early, get up early guy. But you know, yeah. in Spain, it's a completely different story. You go to dinner at nine, and no bars open till about one in the morning. So it's, <laughs> it, you're going to have to slot into that if you, if you feel feel like that sort of thing. Get the sneeze shade on and the white noise cranked up. Yeah. And get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it get, can get quite hot in the day, so you can see why people nap it in midday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, going back to Necker then, I mean, obviously, it's probably one of the most famous kind of islands in the world, I would say. But I mean, Necker is obviously inaccessible for 99.99% of the mm. population to get to. But the broader BVIs mm. um, is, isn't necessarily, you know, mm. and, and uh, wh- where would you recommend for somebody who'd like to get a taste of, you know, the Necker life, um, mm. but maybe, you know, yeah, wants to get a taste of that. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I, 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 the BVI is my second home. It's not Necker that's necessarily my second home. I grew up all around those islands and hopping between the different islands. Yeah, and just plugged into the community. Like the, I got friends, local friends out there that I've known since I was born, and um, and it, they're just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful culture. Um, so you know, there's Virgin Gorda, um, then there's Tortola, which is the main island. There's Jos van Dijk. Um, you know, there's lots of different places people can visit. Um, and if anyone you know can, taking a, a boat is one of the this, one of the biggest charter boat places in the world. There's thousands and thousands of people every year come in. Um, if you can't sail, you can get it with a captain, and or if you can do that, or there's there's many, many, many different places you can stay. Um, and I think one of the gems out there is Anagada. It's a it's a low lying island right on the very edge of the BVI. Completely rugged and rustic. You can surf there. Some of the best kiting in the world. Um, and I mean, really rustic, but it is it's magical. And um, that's definitely should be on a hit list for people travelling to the areas. And if you want a really really fun party, you have got to go to the Willy T. It's a, a floating bar restaurant that's well worth a visit. Is is that from Anagada? No, it's uh, it's off actually um, uh, Norman Island, which is where uh, Treasure Island was written about. Wow! Um, and uh, and it's a, a floating du- two decked ship, kind of piratey ship that has a lot of uh, fun fun times on it. I've had a lot of birthdays there over the years. That sounds yeah. so fun. So mm. the, the islands are all pretty near to each other, so you could like experience multiple little islands in one trip. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the only thing is you need a boat to get around and, and there's 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 taxi boats that go around and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, 
you could, I mean, you'd either probably go to one of the main islands, so Virgin Gould or Tortola, and then and then you can you can get around uh, there. And if anyone is in the area, look up Gumption uh, Glass Bottom Boat. He's a mate of mine that I've known since I was a kid, and he's set up a little glass bottom boat company, and and he's 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 a great great guy. And actually, we do um, through Gumption tours of Necker Island, all the animals, so people can come on to Necker and and look at all the wildlife, which uh, my dad is nicknamed Dr. Doolittle out there because he's obsessed <laughs> with animals and has created a bit of a, a haven for endangered species on Necker as well. So tell me about some of the animals on Necker because it is amazing. Mm, yeah, that, I mean, we've got all sorts. We've got uh, lemurs, um, which are, are just, we've got all uh, sort of ringtail lemurs, black and white lemurs, brown lemurs, red ruffs. Oh, wow. um, we've got... Uh, flamingos um scarlet ibis uh we've got giant galapagos tortoises which <laughs> actually for the first time in history have had babies outside of the galapagos on NECA. um so they famously very very hard for them to feel comfortable enough to have babies and so we've got lots of lots of baby god, that uh, must have been so emotional and, for dr d little <laughs> uh, he oh my god you wouldn't even know he's he's uh he's, he gets pretty emotional when it comes to the animals for sure um but um but yeah it's I mean, it's it's just what a joy to have a place out there where we can we can we can help to you know nurture struggling species well, it sounds like a, ma- a magical thing to to witness and obviously during your childhood thinking about childhood and travel your dad was going around the world completing these like epic challenges and setting crazy records and doing things that mm. well I, mm. uh, were pretty unusual for a dad so which st- sticks out in your mind when you were at home and like watching him he he used to go on obviously these big world record breaking adventures and i think when i the, the transatlantic speed records i was quite young so i can't really remember and equally with the Atlantic world record, a balloon and Pacific, I was pretty young. I think the time I remember the most is when I was in sort of late, late, maybe like a very early teens, uh, 10, 10 to early teens. And that was when he was attempting around the world to be the first around the world in a balloon. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And so I remember going and, you know, all the fanfare around it and knowing this big thing was happening and, in and amongst all the noise there was just me as a little boy thinking oh I really hope my daddy comes home yeah um and so so it was challenging um and you know it's not till I've been a become a grown-up and and had a kind of objective perspective to kind of process some of that but equally incredibly exciting and incredibly inspiring and um you know his tenacity and drive and passion to adventure and has has definitely informed me and as I've become a in you know amongst other things in my life an adventurer myself I can see Mm. why I may not dangle myself from a floating balloon thousands of feet in the air personally (laughs) but 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 I do know what one gains and experiences from stepping out of your comfort zone Mm, yeah I was that's what I was going to ask really is you know how seeing something like that seeing like the balloon for example like how whether the fear over whelmed the excitement or vice versa in terms of how it influenced your sense of adventure 
moving forward mm. into your life now? I don't, I don't know. I think at the time I was just scared, more scared than anything. And then very relieved when my dad came home alive and well. Um, I think, I think it's not so much that that informed me, but more just the way I was brought up and the type of person my dad is and, and, and my cousins and all of us, you know, we would, we would go for lunch, uh, and my dad would be like, right, we're walking through the woods and we would get lost for three hours and turn up at lunch late and, and have had a massive adventure to get there. And, uh, and because we were lucky enough to travel, we would go to, you know, amazing environments of which adventures, you know, different sports and extreme sports. And, and it was just a part, it's, I think adventure is adventure, but there's being adventurous is yeah. more, more apt. And it's, it's just being born into a family, which likes to, experience new things and 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 i'm and luckily i have a working class glaswegian mother who's so down to earth doesn't suffer any falls and take mm-hmm. any crap and could not really be more salt of the earth so so it was a really lovely balance i think she kept our our feet on the ground in and amongst all the all the excitement well chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with sam where comes to mind for that so as a child, it was the BVI, um, but I think to give the, the answer a proper question, as an adult in my own sort of choices of where to go, I, I'll never forget when I went traveling when I was 18 and I went to Australia and it was the first trip I ever took with a mate, with no parents, totally on our own, doing our own thing and how I just absolutely fell in love with Australia. I fell in love with Australian people they're very much my approach to life which is greet everyone like they're your best mate until they do something to to prove you otherwise and and they have this very open-hearted sport fitness orientated Mm -hmm. lifestyle and I just had an absolute blast there learning to surf Uh, and and I just every time I go back to Australia I just am so excited because in part the Australian people but also the place and it's modern but it's also still rugged and wild and it's got a bit of uh cowboy vibe to it too what parts of australia did you spend a lot of time in and and which in particular Mm. would you always want to go back to so i i spent most of my time on the east coast like brisbane gold um surface paradise uh, sydney uh a bit of time in melbourne but the place that really captured my heart was byron bay and Mm -hmm. um i'm a a bit of a hippie um and uh, byron is uh just it's wicked i love it the music the food the energy the surf the whole culture there is is just yeah if you said i couldn't live in the bgi and i couldn't live in my home in oxford uh that's I where would, you'd be I, yeah yeah that's where i'd probably go well they're more outdoors focused and I think the weather helps. Um, but I think, you know, and therefore when you're in an outdoor focus, you're in a fit focus. When you're in a fit focus, you'll eat healthy, the food and, and people are calmer because really the number one thing that any of us can do if we want to, the magic pill to live longer, be calmer, think less, feel more, be more positive is exercise. Mm-hmm. And I think the Australian population, partly due to their climate, um, live a very outdoorsy, fit, active lifestyle, and that breeds into their personality. Yeah, we're speaking on a rather gloomy day here in England, aren't we? Mm, yeah, harder to get out and about, isn't it? It's harder, but what's the? Who's the? I can't remember who said the quote, but there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad equipment. Yeah, 
Um, exactly. which I which is uh, always reminds me to kick myself up the ass in the winter. I think most that's most stuff. Scandinavians uh catchphrase yeah. there, that one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they also take their babies out in minus thirty and just leave them out in the pram outside because it's good for them. So that that's yeah. quite extreme. I don't know if I would feel comfortable <laughs> doing that with my newborn, but you know, they all seem to survive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you've obviously we've We've touched on the feats of endurance that you have undertaken to, you know, raise money for charity and you've sailed across the Atlantic. You've gone through the Arctic wilderness. You've been in the peaks of the Himalayas, obviously hugely physically arduous, although, as you've said, in- enjoyable. I wondered in terms of the first first loves, did you fall in love with some of these environments that you were doing something, you know, very challenging in, but, you know, the, the place, the destination, the landscape? Mm, I mean, it's it's my whole driving motive, really. I remember actually when I was a kid um, with my dad and he was looking over the balcony in the BVI and he just said, what a beautiful view. And I remember as a kid, like I'd grown up being there and I remember thinking, oh, it was a change of perspective. I was always like, that's just what I'm looking at. And I was like, I want to look at the world that way. And and I think that sowed a seed and, and set me on a path to kind of exploring the beauty of the world and 100% all my challenges, the part, the main driving motive why I'm excited to go on a strive is because it's new environments to be in and, and traveling, you get to see the diversity of this world. I mean, it is magical. You know, you know, people say we need to change the world. We don't. We need to change our behavior on this world. This world has evolved through millions of years to be in a relatively harmonious, um, stable condition. But you can go to like mountain ranges and you can see jungles and deserts and frozen plains and oceans and there is just it's just so dynamic um and so so when i go to these places i fall madly in love with them and and as a you know filmmaker and a songwriter um, my biggest muse is nature and Mm. so these trips also inform my writing and and things like that so have like is there a song for example in your forthcoming uh, musical debut would you say it's a de- debut? It's a debut album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was particularly inspired by a certain destination. I mean, yeah. I mean, all sorts of. If you listen to my music, it's most of them are love songs to Mother Nature. Um, there's a song that I've released actually, the second single on my uh, debut album today. It's called uh, "Watch You Glow," mm-hmm. and that's about the sun, and it's paying tribute to the burning ball of life-giving energy that's in our solar system and and it's a tribute to that and and how no matter where i am in the world i always think it's fascinating when you travel it's the same sun Mm. it's the same moon or if one of your loved ones happens to be on the other side of the planet and you miss them you look up and and if it's nighttime for both of you can be like we're both looking at the same moon and there's there's a beautiful connectedness there as well yeah so I'd love to chat to you a little bit about the Arctic um, expedition that you, the, the first Arctic expedition mm. that you did, the, the really long one, because mm. to embark on something of that length, of that magnitude. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you in terms of, you know, the these epic physical feats, and, and we're moving on to a place where you also learned the most about yourself. I imagine that this three-month, 1,400-mile dog sled expedition that you did, this kind of... M- 
the magnitude of it. I mm. just wanted to to ask you really, like, how do you prepare for something like that, and and get wrap your head around the length of time that you're going to be away, and you know what it's going to involve, both physically and mentally. You don't, and I think the key that I learned on that trip was just say yes and then do what you need to do to make it work. There's so many reasons to say no to these things. And I even very, very closely nearly called up Will Steger, who ran the expedition and said, look, I'm not going to come. Three months away from everyone I loved, all my creature comforts. I was 23, you know, it's an age of socializing with friends. And do I really want to go on this absolutely brutal challenge? And fear was getting in the way. And and I remember just thinking, I, I no, I'm going to do this. And I, I said yes. And then then you just make it happen. And and um, and I'm a big believer in in the lessons learned in the laboratory of life, and 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 experiential learning is where you gain wisdom. You know, you can inter- the amount of people that read amazing books, but they don't ex- they don't they don't actualize their learning. So it's just intellectual. When you experience learnings, that's when you get wisdom and you gain wisdom. And so, yeah, just going out there and learning on the fly. I remember when I got out there, I went out on a training ride, wasn't wearing enough clothes. There is no space for positivity when you are cold, really cold. Mm. And I remember having a little freak out moment. I was like, and the tents were tiny. I was like, how am I going to do this? Three months, you know. Such a long time. Such a long time. And, um, And I remember looking in the mirror and going, right, you have to look at every single moment as an opportunity to learn and grow. And it was a perspective shift, and that's actually what you gain the most. And and also times where I felt like my tank was empty, it was actually half full. I just had to learn how to tap into it. And and every time we stopped for a five minute break, I would fall asleep. I was that knackered. Hmm. You couldn't have any of your skin exposed. You know, you're, you literally covered your entire face. Um, throw a glass of water in the air, and, and it freezes before it hits the ground. You know, it's, wow. it was it was pretty brutal. Um, but you know pan forward a month into the challenge and I was I had my routine set and you're you know exactly how to what clothes to wear and you know you know the, the main thing out there is sweat management if you sweat you're screwed because you lose body heat 240 times faster and all your clothes freeze because mm. there's no way to reheat them so or dry them so it's all it's all learning the routines and dogs would sleep in a square around us to protect us from polar bears and you'd have to dig down the snow and put ice screws in and 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 put them in and all of that was completely new to me but taking the the perspective of using every experience as an opportunity to learn and grow it enables you to be positive and to look at it as a positive challenge. And then you're 10 times more likely to achieve what you need to achieve. And before, by the end, I was a seasoned explorer and felt like, a, I, even though I looked like a Yeti because my, my beard was bleached white. I looked like Santa Claus. <laughs> and, uh, but I felt like I went on into that trip as a young boy and I came out a man with such a sense of self pride. Um, I can imagine it was um, um, just to give a bit more context mm-hmm. it was a do- sle- sledding with dogs the whole way wasn't it yeah it was uh, I think we ended up doing 1200 miles on dog sleds and there was six of us Will Steger ran it and yeah. there was five young polar polar explorers of me who was was the rookie the <laughs> other guys are a bit more experienced but um, but no it was, it was a it was a magical experience and I think the the main learning I got from that is when you're that detached from modern civilization for that long, it enabled you to have an objective perspective on life. 
you know, you're, you're fully immersed in nature. You see a mountain in the distance and you think you're going to reach it that afternoon. You don't get there for four days. You know, your mm. sense of time shifts, like it's such a relatively bland environment, but the, the more you tune into it, the slight slither of pink in the sky that's different the next day becomes the biggest change. And you're, you attune, you know, which I think is what people used to have a long time ago, this, this attunement and sensitivity and relationship with their environment that I think is one of the saddest things in the modern day and age is actually our detachment from nature. Mm. seeing that nature is something separate and if you look at indigenous tribes sometimes they never they don't even have a word for nature they just have the environment of which we are a part of mm. and so to gain There's no detachment to, in that way no you, we are we are nature yeah you know, we are not, nature yeah you know so chopping down a tree is hurting you and it's like or or in in some cultures like you know in bali and stuff they 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 take what they need but then they do this tribute and they say thank you i'm so sorry for hurting you but thank you we needed this and it's this symbiotic relationship and you know i just i just one thing i'm really passionate for my children is for them to have a relationship with nature and a love of nature and and i think that the healing power of that um, is is what the world needs now more than ever. Mm. I mean, what major changes do you hope to see in the way that we travel in the next ten years? I know that that expedition was raising awareness about climate change. You know, mm. what what are your hopes with something that's obviously just so hugely important to you? Mm. Um, I hope we can travel in a more environmentally friendly way because I think traveling is unbelievably important. And, and I think what it does for people's perspective and what it does for people's sense of self-understanding and uh, our ability to be in relationship with people around the world, um, regardless of where you live. So I would love to see, uh, you know, evolutions in, in traveling more sustainably like you know hopefully we can have breakthroughs with with cleaner jet fuels hopefully we can um you know get more electric cars and which is all it's all starting to happen um and i think that means that people will be able to travel more without having a negative impact um but i also think there's i i would love to also see cities built with nature in mind cities built with children in mind you know it just seems cities are not child friendly and they're not green but it doesn't take too much to to put planning into making cities as green as they can be you know they mm -hmm. did a study on the council estate and the, the the side of the building that looked onto buildings had a higher violence rate to the opposite side of the building that looked onto trees so just that connection to nature has mm -hmm. such a benefit to our well-being as human beings yeah and I just, yeah, I hope more people can travel and it becomes more affordable as well. Mm. Well, I mean, so much food for thought. Chapter three is the place where you learn the most about yourself. Mm. I feel like we've we've gone quite deep. Where, where are we <laughs> heading to next? I know. Well, obviously the Arctic is big and I think I always learn about myself. I think I think that's part of the, the joy in life. Our brains never stop, never tire of learning. Um, but I think for me, this is Bali. So, so maybe how long ago, five years ago, my wife and I decided to do something quite mega when our children were very, very young and go and live in Bali for three years. And we just thought wow. before our kids are in, 
mm, before our kids are in school, let's go off an adventure. Let's just do something very different. Well, what, before that, you know, we, we're pinned to one place for their academic careers and or journeys. And, um, and so we went and ended up living in the middle of the jungle, um, half an hour north of Ubud. And, um, and that was just such an incredible experience for us, uh, establishing what our family was like you know and with total independence and a completely new culture um i did my meditation teacher training my yoga teacher training started to change my focus uh, slightly to pursue my passion for songwriting and music and starting quite late in the game and also just being immersed in such a different culture and the balinese people are just some of the most special people I've ever come across their sense of community, their sense of faith, their open-mindedness, their their openness to different faiths as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of Hindu, Buddhist, but there's Muslims there and Christians there, and they all coexist harmoniously. They take such pride in what they do. They have such a sense of duty and love and care and sense of humor. And the reason why I say it is because a I learn about myself self by taking my explorative nature inside, um, but also because of what I learned from the Balinese people. For for my listeners who haven't been to Bali, who may now be inspired to go there with their young families um, for a holiday or for longer, you know, where would you recommend that they visit? Um, mm. Not necessarily live, but, you know, what are some of the places that mean a lot to you that you visited while you were in Bali? For me, there's lots of amazing parts of Bali. I didn't visit the north of the island much. It's meant to be really beautiful. But Uluwatu in the south along the coast is absolutely beautiful, especially for surfing. If anyone's a surfer, that's a really great place to go. Changu is amazing, but it's getting quite busy now. It's good fun. Um, Seminyak's quite built up. Um, Kuta, I wouldn't bother visiting. It's been pretty spoiled, sadly, over the years with bad management. Um, but the one place I would say is an absolute must is Ubud. Of all the places in Bali, it's unique. I've never been anywhere in the world like it. It's like a city that grows out of the jungle. Yeah. And it's just amazing, amazing food and amazing music and so health and well-being orientated yoga and meditation and uh, and lots of fun things too, like whitewater rafting and jungle buggying and um and yeah, that it's a unique part of the world, Ibud, and and so that I would say should be top of the list. And if people decided they wanted to live there, the Green School is uh, probably one of the most progressive schools in the world, and uh, and they've done an excellent job of a, a slightly different model of education too. Yeah, I've spoken with a couple of other guests about the Green School, um, and it's really it's really fascinated me, kind of what a different approach to education it can be um mm. did your were your children uh, too young to attend at that age our, our daughter went for for i think two years um and our son was a bit too young yeah and mm. you and and she loved it she loved it yeah it was great i mean it, it, i mean they don't do a levels they do a ted talk about and it's something they're passionate about i just think that's just like <laughs> so, so spot on yeah it was a really you know it sounds utopian but but it is, yeah. and, and they've done it, and it's great. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels easier even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Well, chapter four, Sam, is the big one. Your all-time favorite destination. Where are you going to pick? <sighs> it's a really tough one. I think I need to exempt the BVI because it's a second home. So it's not a destination. It's part of my life. Uh, and then I would say... It's it's between Bali and Byron, um, uh, and I think I think for the reasons we've discussed previously, I would say Bali for Bali because of the culture. Yeah. And did you travel much around Indonesia beyond Bali? No, because our kids were at school. So as much as I would love to, um, we we were on a family routine. It was different. We weren't there on holiday. We were living day yeah. in, day out, yeah. you know, weekly routines. And uh, so we did go to Komodo Islands, which was stunning. Uh, and actually the seeing the Komodos was, was wonderful, but actually under the sea is where it really came alive for me. And and, and the scuba diving there is, is, is beautiful. Um, but no, and, then, and there's other parts of Bali or the Indonesian archipelago that I would have loved to visit, and I will at some point. Some some point coming up. So obviously, like you said, recommended some great hidden gems already there. But chapter five is your hidden gem. What would be your ultimate choice for this chapter? A place that you love that my listeners maybe wouldn't know so much about or wouldn't have had a chance to visit. So the Arctic is is definitely on that list because. It's a place that not many people have been, and sadly is is you know becoming less and less of a place uh, as the years go by. Uh, and mainly because it's it's probably one of the only places I've been where I feel like I am immersed in total wilderness. You know, there is no sign of human life in so many parts of it, and and there's also something really empowering and insightful around being in an environment that 
on the surface level can look quite bland, but when you tune into it, it has just got such a sense of timelessness and um, and and also because of the physical side, you know, you can't be in the Arctic without having to have gone through the motions of making sure you have the right kit and making sure you're wearing the right clothes and you're having to push yourself out of your comfort zone and therefore you're learning about yourself as well so the arctic is definitely my hidden gem Mm. well our our penultimate chapter uh, sam is chapter six and that is Mm. your worst travel experience Mm. so i have a few of these firstly the first thing that came to mind was it's not the place it's being ill and there's been times in thailand times in mexico and times in costa rica where i've got very ill and you know there's nothing worse than being in a foreign country curled over in bed very close to the toilet and feeling incredibly ill (laughs) um because you just feel really far away from home uh and uh and so so that those those came to mind when i was a kid uh i can't really remember it but we got my dad it was during the tamil tigers my dad got invited to sri lanka and by the tourism board. And I think they were trying to show, you know, tourism's coming back. And so they invited us out to this hotel. And so we, we, we flew to this hotel. And when we got there, this is secondhand information. I can't really remember, but it's a pretty, pretty bad one. Uh, my uh, mum and dad uh, just got the sense when we got to the hotel that just something was up. They just, they just got this instinct. My dad usually would be like, let's, whatever, let's just get on with it. And he and my mum both said, we need to leave. So we flew straight out and we didn't stay. And that night, the Tamil Tigers came in and killed everyone in the hotel. Oh, my God. Um, and so that was a very near miss um, for us uh, <sighs> as a family. He did, they just sensed, sensed something. They just could happen. just tell. They could just tell. that It was just completely off um, the energy. And they were like, luckily, their spidey sense pricked up and they decided to get us out and, and, and we literally yeah it was a that was a that was a close call and then the one that actually i think takes the biscuit because it's the one i can remember the most and it was you know my experience is i was in chamonix uh doing some skiing and snowboarding with some mates when i was 18 walking home from a bar at night and just having fun a couple of us just throwing snowballs at each other and and suddenly we hear the shouting down the street and we're on the top of a kind of a hill to road and five guys were down there shouting at us and they kind of looked you know dark dark clothing and they started running towards us and i said to my mates oh god you know we're gonna have to fight our way out of this i don't know what's going on and they ran up to us um when they got close we realized you know there's nothing we could do we all ran in different directions uh one of my mates got tackled to the ground another friend of mine had his arms behind his back uh, he was, uh, some guy, the guy got a bat on out of, on him and he managed to wiggle out of it and then got pinned down again. I ran through a snowy field, jumped over a fence. And when I landed, I looked up and this guy had a, a gun pointed at my, oh my head. God. And, um, and I was just, I just went into shock. I was like, I mean, it was so the whole, the whole situation was so terrifying, terrifying and overwhelming and I had no idea what was going on. And then I kind of froze and I stood up and sorry to be graphic, but the whole term shitting yourself, suddenly I realized why it's there. I Luckily I didn't, but when I stood up and I realized I hadn't been shot, that's all I felt like doing. Yeah. 
and it comes from a fight or flight mechanism. Of course. Anyway, this guy then takes me and my mates down, they take us down an alleyway and they walk us into this building and it's the gendarmerie. And we were like, I was, I was in total shock. I was like, you're the police. Sorry. Like I, I just could not get my head around the fact that these guys had just done that to us and, and completely unprovoked doing nothing wrong. Yeah. And then they took us in and they, they booked us. Luckily my friend spoke French. He spent the next three hours like shouting at them in French and they wrote this whole report. And I just remember saying, all I care about is that, you know, that, that it's written in the report that they used completely over necessary force and, and it's, I don't really believe in suing unless it's a really specific, specific situation. Uh, but in this occasion, you know, I've thought back on it. I was, I wish I'd maybe taken them to court because had that guy accidentally shot me, they would have made up a story about it. Um, and he should not be carrying a gun if he's no. going to pull a gun out on an 18 year old t- teenager who's done nothing wrong. So um, it was the police. You know, it was the police. It was the gendarmerie. I did not and expect you to say that in the end. No, no, and I wasn't expecting it at the time either. And and it was one of those situations. It was a total abuse of power. Yeah. Um. And and they were obviously just wanting to scare a bunch of British teenagers who were oh travelling. God, how awful! Um, what? Yeah. So, so that's a, such a strange story in so many ways because, mm. like in Chamonix of all places as well. Like yeah. I just just would have expected a modern, that. Yeah. Modern. First world ski resort. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just so, so ridiculous. I was thing. fully expecting yeah. you that, that to go down the avalanche route because ha- have you had experiences with, with you know, s- snow and avalanches in your uh, adventure? Not lu- very, very luckily not. No, I've never been caught in an avalanche. I did present a documentary years ago on testing out avalanche equipment and I got buried in an ice chamber and you know testing out some equipment and what it would be like to actually be caught in an avalanche we we did have a very near miss on on mont blanc there's this section of mont blanc which it's it's about 200 meters across and it's the one part of the mountain where you detach from being connected to each other and you don't look up you don't look down you don't run you literally just walk and you get to the other side and 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 i was with my dad and we detached and there was another uh, two people with us and we got to the other side and a tower of rocks fell down this couloirs. The whole mountain is a couloir and basically there's 20 people die on this one section every year. <sighs> so it's the sketchiest part of the mountain. And we got to the other side and the people behind us had just got in. And, and then this rock, these rock falls came, I think it's online somewhere. You can probably check it out. And I had one clip my helmet and the oh guy, God, it was that was in, near. Oh, it was close. Yeah, it was really, really close. Um, and um, and then we had to continue up the mountain afterwards, oh feeling God. pretty, pretty <laughs> shaky. But but that you know that 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 I had a rational head on, and so in a way that was scary. But the the time in Chamonix, the whole thing was just such a blur. Yeah, and and I was quite young, so I think that's why it was was definitely takes my worst. I've yeah. basically thrown about 10 at you, but I've traveled a lot. So there's a few, a few bad experiences I, in no, there. I, I appreciate you sharing them because um, it's sometimes a chapter that my guests gloss over a little bit because they don't want mm. to kind of go into any detail. Mm. I do like it when actually we can actually, because travel isn't just all, you know, the good bits. There's, no, there, there are the bad bits too. And mm. there are challenging situations that you can face. And, you know, it's about getting back on the horse and carrying on. Mm, completely 
um and 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 you know and and i think you, i think it's best to live life going into experiences thinking it's going to be wonderful and then as and when the challenges come up you deal with them mm. well sam it's been really great chatting to you i've really enjoyed mm. it we've been all around the world uh chapter seven our final chapter is a destination that's at the top of your travel bucket list Mm, so um thank you i've really thoroughly enjoyed the conversation too um you hold the space beautifully oh that's so sweet of you to say but i would say that this is an absolute easy one for me top of my bucket list is to do a surf trip in the mentawi islands um where are they and they are near indonesia mm-hmm. uh well maybe they're part of indonesia i'm not quite sure um and it's basically surf heaven it's loads of islands the best surf in the world hardly anybody there and i've got that pegged for my 40th uh to take my best mates and my wife and kids and try and do a trip to mentari islands and it's just it's it's like i'm surfing is my favorite sport and Mm -hmm. and to spend time with people i love uh in that beautiful place surfing is out uh, on the water yeah top of my bucket list wonderful well i look forward to seeing you out there how long till your till your birthday oh i'm not i'm not going to be 40 for uh just over two years okay (laughs) Um, so the countdown begins (laughs) but i've already sent a whatsapp to my mate saying right you need to get fit and you need to start surfing if you don't yet because you're the people i want to bring (laughs) i I, I want to make sure that we uh we can all go and enjoy it (laughs) brilliant thank you so much sam branson those were your travel diaries thanks so much What a nice conversation. Thank you so much to Sam. His debut album, Under the Static, released under his musical alter ego, Waves Rush In, is out now. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear more from the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to press follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. If you want to be the first to find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. I'm at Holly Rubenstein and you'll also find me on Twitter and TikTok as of a few weeks ago, also at Holly Rubenstein. And if you can't wait until then, remember there's the first eight seasons to catch up on that's over 90 episodes to keep you busy there all the destinations mentioned by my guests are included in the episode show notes here on your podcast app and listed on my website thetraveldiariespodcast.com thanks everyone and i'll be back next week today's episode is supported by airbnb It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers 
just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.